Hello, everybody. Welcome back to At Home with the Lectionary. Thanks for joining us today. What do we got here, Marissa? This is the third Sunday after the Epiphany. Yep. Year B. And uh, we enter into Jonah. Yeah. Just noticing that. So I, I think after the holidays, after the new year, after the 12 days of Christmas, I think things just clip along at quite a pace. That's what it yeah. feels like to me. Like, oh, oh, okay. Now we're time for well another... into January, yeah. well into Epiphany. Lent on the horizon. <laughs> it feels kind of crazy once you get over the halfway point in Epiphany. I'm always like, okay, Ash Wednesday's on the calendar in February. Oh, All right. Yeah, this okay. year's February wow. 14. The year is following. It feels Fine. so early. Uh, yeah. I don't, you know, as a, as a, as a priest, like you start thinking about Lent somewhere in the season of Advent, you know, you're like, mm-hmm. okay, I know we're going to disappear from everything for about a month and a half here. But when we emerge. When we emerge mid-January, we will only have one month until yeah, Lent. So you kind of have to at least think big picture early. So yeah, so I'm, I'm not going to say I'm like ready for Lent when we just finished Christmas. I want to make sure we embrace just Epiphany. See it peeking up over the horizon. And Epiphany, the one sentence thematic summary, in case people are joining us for the first time, would be... Are you going to make me finish that? Sentence? I am I you always were setting yourself up <laughs> and bump and set, and I have to spike. Okay, got it. Um, yeah, I I think the iconic figures are the Magi, and what they represent is the the nations coming to the Messiah. Mm-hmm. And so, um, the if I had to do one sentence for the theme of Epiphany, it is that um, Jesus is light and life for the whole world. Mm-hmm. That's the specific focus there. Um, I wonder how we are going to see or not see that. In our readings. In our readings. But I will uh, enter us in yeah, here. and collect. We start with the collect appointed. So, Marissa, the Lord be with you. And also with you. Listeners, the Lord be with you. Let us pray. Give us grace, O Lord, to answer readily the call of our Savior, Jesus Christ, and proclaim to all people the good news of his salvation, that we in the whole world may perceive the glory of his marvelous works, who lives and reigns with you in the Holy Spirit, one God, forever and ever. Amen. Amen. We definitely see the Epiphany theme in the Collex. Oh, yeah. For sure. Right. And because of that, we kind of hop all over the place for the readings. So we are in Jonah today. A little clip of Jonah. I think we were in Jonah a little bit in Ordinary Time last really? year. It sounds... I don't know. Like that. But here we are, Jonah chapter 3, verses 1 through 5 and verse 10. The Lord said to Jonah a second time, Go immediately to Nineveh, that large city, and proclaim to it the message that I tell you. So Jonah went immediately to Nineveh, as the Lord had said. Now, Nineveh was an enormous city. It required three days to walk through it. When Jonah began to enter the city one day's walk, he announced, At the end of 40 days, Nineveh will be overthrown. The people of Nineveh believed in God, and they declared a fast and put on sackcloth from the greatest to the least of them. Skipping ahead, when God saw their actions, they turned from their evil way of living. God relented concerning the judgment he had threatened them with, and he did not destroy them. Here ends the reading. That is a six-verse summary of the entire book of Jonah there. You you don't get his... You don't get his wandering away, except implicit in the opening. Then the word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time. Right. And that he went immediately this time. So if you remember, this is a familiar story. This is one that shows up in the storybooks. When Jonah first gets 
the instruction to go deliver this message to Nineveh. He doesn't want to, and he runs away and goes on a ship in the opposite direction (laughs) where there's a storm. He gets thrown overboard in the belly of the whale. All of this story we're very familiar with. A lot of times, though, that's kind of where it ends. It's it's Mm. focused on, interestingly, I think when it's presented to children, certainly, and others, it's presented as a story about Jonah in the whale, which is a piece of it. That's the first two but chapters of that's the book. Then the actual mm-hmm. turning to do the mm-hmm. work he's been given to do happens here. And that's chapter three and four. <laughs> that's chapter three. He actually goes to deliver the message to Nineveh. And the whole reason he didn't want to go is he doesn't like the people in Nineveh. They're, they're his enemies. He doesn't want them to repent. And he knows that that's what will happen. <laughs> I love it because it's almost a humorous caricature. Jonah's an anti-hero. Yeah. Yeah, he doesn't. Absolutely. He doesn't want to go. He's kind of like, I know that you'll be merciful. I know that this will happen, and I'm not doing it. And he wasn't wrong when he goes and announces they do repent, and he's unhappy. He's about like, it. I knew it. I knew it. Yeah, I love the NIV does a great job in chapter four, verse one. So this would be what immediately follows uh, where we left off today, verse ten of chapter three. So four one says, but to Jonah this seemed very wrong, and he became angry. <laughs> That's just yeah. a great summary. Well, and I think that if someone was preaching this, I think it would be really interesting to dig into some of those things, because I think we have a very clear sense of this story, however it's been presented to us, but worth exploring and pulling on that. Well, is Jonah just a bad guy for thinking that, or why might he think that? And I think when you imagine... Nineveh's Assyrian Empire, right? Am I remembering that correctly? I do not Assyrian Empire, I think. So notorious for their violence, notorious for coming in and destroying communities, sieges, uh, atrocious acts of war and violence. It does not seem right to Jonah that these awful people could just say some words and it'd be okay. Well, and, and the judgment, I mean, it must have felt good to think, yeah, they are bad. And here comes judge, God's judgment. That's as it should be. And I, I don't know. I think it's well, helpful to connect those dots. I'll, I will nuance that, though, and say, I, I think it's worth noting, verse 10 is very clear. It says, when God saw that they uh, saw what they did, and by the way, what they did yes. was was performing signs of penitence, but not just that, um, and how they turned from their evil ways. And he relented and did not bring on them the destruction he had threatened. So yeah. they didn't just get to say, oops, sorry. And then God goes, wow, it's all right. Well, and, and I'm, ways. I'm trying to present it from, from Jonah's his, perspective totally. that it doesn't say, right, you're right. I'm not saying that's but what I, happened. I, but I, think I push back on Jonah there is what I suppose course, what I would say. Because of course, yeah. they didn't just go, oh, our bad, we hear you and we agree, but they actually changed their ways. Well, and here's the, here are the, ver- I'm going to read the verses it skips. So we see, okay, so they sure. declare a fast, they put on sackcloth from the greatest to the least. When the news reaches the king of Nineveh, he gets up from his throne yeah, took off his royal robe, put on sackcloth, and sat on ashes. That is wild. Yeah, like the, I think yeah. that is wild. He issued a proclamation yeah, yes. and said, In Nineveh, by the decree of the king and his nobles, no human or animal, cattle or sheep is to taste anything. They must not eat and they must not drink water. Every person and animal must put on sackcloth and must cry earnestly to God. And everyone must turn from their evil way of living and from the violence they do. Who knows? Perhaps God might be willing to change his mind and relent and turn from his fierce anger so that we might not die. Man, they believe it. 
They believe it. And do we get And they don't Jonah- shake their fist at heaven. They, they don't. And I'm trying to think, do we do we get the words that Jonah's to say? Um, he just, I don't think so. We do. do. 40 more days and Nineveh will be overthrown. That's the message. So the message they get is not repent and it might not happen. The So this is an act of faith on the King and the nobles, uh, response because they could have dismissed him. I mean, many times we see the prophets being dismissed. The the leaders don't like to hear from them. They think they're making it up. They villainize the prophets, but here comes a prophet saying a very brief, a very direct, a very yeah. pointed message. And they respond. It's kind of like, it reminds me of Rahab when the words, the prophecy against Jericho, she believes it and she acts, you know, they're, they're going to act here and do it. So yeah, you're right. There's an actions of faith. However, pretty, pretty impressive. I think from the human heart's perspective, I, I think the narrator's framing it very well. This NET has it, this displeased Jonah. <laughs> Terribly. That's 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 it's uh, that's 4-1. 4-1. Yeah. yeah. He's displeased. Was, it, it was Jonah this seemed very wrong. It, uh, the translator note says it was evil to Jonah, a great evil. So yeah, the, the, the word literal. play there, um, even though and the word play being that God saw that the Ninevites repented from their moral evil, this Jonah saw was a great evil. He saw it as maybe a judicial <laughs> evil. So um yeah. Yeah. So anyway, yeah. we see Jonah doesn't like it for for reasons we can. Oh, he says in verse two, the very next verse, right? He prayed to the Lord. Isn't this what I said, Lord, <laughs> while I was still at home? I mean, so he's foreseen this. He is a prophet. huh? Mm-hmm. Um, that is what I tried to forestall by fleeing to Tarshish. I knew that you are a gracious and compassionate God, slow to anger and abounding in love, a God who relents from sending calamity and then he says, now, Lord, take away, take away my life, for it is better for me to die than to live. And the Lord says, are you really so very angry? Yeah. Or in the I love that question. Is it right for you to be angry? <laughs> I love that question. Um, a couple observations I want to make yeah. is, I think we often want to, rightly so, lionize a lot of the biblical characters or make them heroic. Jonah's a prophet called by God. Yeah. And we, we could point out a lot of moral flaws here <laughs> or not admirable traits. You know, yeah. he tries, he, it's not, um, a inability to comprehend. It yeah. is, uh, he will, he would rather, and this becomes the point in the end, he would rather a whole city suffer judgment than they come to know God's mercy. He would he would rather see a whole city of human beings and all the animals. And this is where the the book of Jonah ends, so much so that he would he would run away. He would rather die than see that happen. This is the older brother in the prodigal parable, yeah, isn't it? I think you so. Know, that he's he's angry about the redemption of sinners, redemption and so yeah, and, and it and robs that, him of joy and he what he could his have. Joy, yeah. He forfeits his joy. I also wonder, but it, it's also, oh, where I was going with this is sometimes I think we tend to think um, people earn, like God uses really spiritual people or people earn. Prophets were extra holy and moral. And while I think there's true, there are a lot of integrity there. I think it's interesting. This reminds me of a lot of the judges, Jonah here. He's, he was a man who had a mission to do. And I wonder if why his prophecy is so short 
the narrator, the author is showing us that if Jonah kind of begrudgingly did it, you know, kind of just oh, went through and was like 40 days, no more 40 days, maybe no yeah, more here. I think so. You know, half-heartedly. Absolutely. That's why I imagined him walking down the street. I mean, he also, he, he has already kind of gotten on, how to say this? He's already pushed back on God. I, I don't know. Yeah. So is he is he sobered and is delivering the message, or like I imagine it the first time the way you imagine it, which is that he kind of almost indifferently, quietly, you know, is making this proclamation as he walks three days through the city, and I'm I'm imagining people hearing him and listening to him, even though he's almost trying to not be heard. Well, and he does pray when he's in the whale, though. So I think right? you know, there's a whole like sequence a of events of here. Kind of. And he is rescued. He he really says this beautiful psalm of deliverance. And I think it's so fascinating. Ver- chapter 2, verse 8. This is Jonah saying these words. Those who worship worthless idols forfeit the mercy that could be theirs. Mm. But as for me, I promise to offer a sacrifice to you with a public declaration of praise. I will surely do what I've promised. Salvation will, yeah. belongs to the Lord. So I do think there's sincerity there. Maybe... Maybe he's reminded walking through the city. I mean, I could see this if then he begins to walk through this huge city. He only gets one day's worth in before the people repent. But I'm imagining he's seeing things that are offensive to him, that are distressing to him. He's probably seeing injustice. He's seeing all the reasons that the judgment is being promised. Or I I don't know. I don't know how to connect that dot for this, what appears to be heartfelt prayer and declaration. Or is it the way, I mean, maybe there's a showing us, not telling us (laughs) the way we can be so unaware of our own inability to see or incapacity to see, or like the elder brother, the ways we shut others out based on our perceived metrics and feel justified in doing so when God has not shutting people out by those metrics. He is welcoming the penitent regardless. Yeah. I, I do see it as parallel to the, the prodigal son um, story, whether you take this as a parable or a history. Um, I take it as a parable, but I, I know there's interesting conversations surrounding that, but um, I, because I think where that is positioned in the Gospels, it's the capstone of a sequence of parables that are all about somebody, something, something or someone being lost and then yeah. being found. And then always the question is, do the neighbors celebrate? And they do, you know, in all those cases. And Jesus is saying to the the religious leaders, his, I like to pre- prefer preferably let's call them his his detractors because there were religious leaders who were for him as well but um the detractors who are unable or unwilling to celebrate that lost people are being found that um, people are being returned restored into the family of god uh, right in Mm -hmm. front of their eyes through the ministry of jesus but because they have set themselves against Jesus, they're unwilling to celebrate the, mm. the unmistakable good work of God in the lives of those who were who were out of fellowship with him and with his his family. So that's the sequence of, of parables that Jesus tells the you know the lost sheep, the lost coin, and then, if you will, the lost son. And in all of those, in the first two, the, the neighbors celebrate and he's saying more celebration in heaven over the over um, one who was lost who's been found in this, the, the repentance of one sinner. 
Um, and then in the parable of the prodigal son, we we have still that same concept. We're waiting for that final note again. Mm-hmm. And instead of that final note of all the neighbors celebrating, we have all the neighbors celebrating except for one, the older brother. And the irony is that that, that brother is the, the one who is most set, who it would be most probable for that person to celebrate the restoration of the younger mm-hmm. brother. It's the one who has the best reason to celebrate is the most opposed to doing so. And I think that, that, Jonah is that story being played out in Old Testament scenery hmm. here. Here, Jonah, if anyone, should be grateful. He he allegedly he hates the evil that they were doing in Nineveh. It should be a great celebration to him to see that yeah. done away with, righteousness restored, evil no longer being done in the streets of this very big city. 120,000. That's amazing. That's amazing. And yeah. yet, instead, he who was who really is the most probable to celebrate kind of hardens his heart and is opposed to the mercy of God when it's handed over to those who just, he feels like just don't deserve it. Don't deserve it. Yeah. I think it's very difficult. Capen, we reference him a lot, calls this the right handed way of doing things Mm. versus the left handed way of the kingdom. The the way of the world very much is your just desserts. Karma comes around. It's very difficult. And I think it's hard for us to parse out then. I think this is why in the new, New Testament, we're told vengeance is mine, says the Lord, I will repay, because it is maybe beyond our capacity to know how to do right in in such a layered way. You know, to what does it mean to seek justice when there's been such injustice? What does it mean when there's been the amends need to be made, repair needs to be made, and also offer compassion and mercy mm. to those who turn. And I think I, what I love, I, Jonah's one, all all the short books I always commend, like read it in one sitting. I wish we could read the yeah, read it in one sitting. Well this one that. would be great because even though we could say Jonah's an antihero or, or oh, Jonah's hardness of heart, the, the Lord's response to him is kindness. <laughs> even, even throughout all this process, a deliverance, certainly. But then here, when Jonah says this in chapter four, and the Lord says, are you really so very angry? Then he kind of lets Jonah be, just lets him be. And Jonah goes outside the city, sits down. It's very hot. You remember the vine comes up and Jonah's really glad for the vine. He's kind of got some emotional roller coaster going yeah, on. He <laughs> but he's really glad for the vine. But then a worm comes and, and eats it and he gets angry again. We see him getting angry. And he says, I'm as angry as I could possibly be. That's how the NET renders it. And this is a a moment where the Lord invites him to consider you were upset about this little plant, something for which you've not worked or done anything to make it grow. It had a fleeting life anyway. Should I not much more care about the people of Nineveh who do not know right from wrong? And I think the invitation to stay connected with Jonah, there's not a a utilitarian nature. Mm-hmm. There's not a performance nature like, Oh, Jonah got it wrong. So then the end, right. but there's a ongoing dialogue here and an, a great, maybe a greater understanding of the character of the Lord, what's going on an invitation to connection. I don't well, know. And again, this is what we see and what I'm claiming is the parallel in the prodigal yeah. mm-hmm. is that the father does All not say how dare the older son not be mm-hmm. here. And now I'm going to go scorn him. No, but actually leaves the party comes to him in the place where the, you know, meets him where he is and speaks words of kindness, tenderness and wisdom and truth to him. 
um, and sort of the gentle rebuke. And but it's a it's a draw him in sort of posture. Well, yeah. And I think Jonah doesn't even recognize that he is he himself is the beneficiary of a God who is um, gracious and compassionate, slow to yes. anger and abounding in love, who relents from sending calamity. Mm-hmm. His own, you know, definition of the identity of God. He's saying, oh, I kind of resent that identity because look what it's doing for all these people, all the while not recognizing that that it's same identity him. is what spares him. Well, and I also like that it's it's personal. What we don't get in this story is then, or in the prodigal son for that matter, a tidy bow of like, and then Correct. Jonah had to Correct. go be friends with the king of Nineveh or the brothers worked it out. And I don't like, know. Oh, good point. You know, went to <laughs> and the I think that's can, that can be for me at least a really hard part of the conversations around justice and compassion and forgiveness and all of this to be like, okay, well, what do you do with that? And I think what we have here is all the people, everybody has access to God who is compassionate and forgiving. And, and that is unchanged. However else the other things work out. And I don't know, I find that helpful to see because I think that is something the God of the universe can't offer who cares for even even uh the many animals in Nineveh very last <laughs> can yeah I love how it ends uh, there are more than 120,000 people in the city who do not know right from wrong as well as many animals <laughs> um can seek out each one the parables of loss seek the one out and not it, it's not a what's that called where you you have to take from one zero to give sum. to another. Yeah, it's not zero a zero sum. sum. Like everyone can, and it yeah. doesn't diminish him, or it's it's not costly, or it's not a justice-oriented system there. Right. Everyone has access to him. This is where I get myself in all kinds of trouble. Um, but you're, you're saying, you know, it's not zero sum. This is why I think when we lock ourselves into yeah, do I want to even go down this road? I do. A I subst- don't know where you're going. A substitutionary, going. Oh. Um, you know... Uh, Penal substitutionary atonement? Yeah. That, we can go down that road. Yeah, no, <laughs> I, you know, I, like, obviously, it's very biblical to say Christ has paid our debt for us. But I think we, sometimes in evangelicalism, can really double down on this idea of substitution. And um, and what what we often see, and I think that's a that's owing to an, an inflated concept of what was happening in the sacrificial system of the Old Testament um, that, that we can misbelieve, I will suggest, that there was a one-to-one exchange going on there. Like, well, because I sinned, an animal has to die. yeah. Yeah, and the, I'm sorry, but that doesn't weigh in the scales. You know, a, a, a dove dying because I did, I, you know, murdered my neighbor, these are not equivalents. Uh, and so, but we, we kind of have this mindset of like, oh, the, the, the what well, satisfied the, God. Okay. The part of me that wants to be like, yeah, but it didn't work that way though. <laughs> <laughs> it was eye for eye. You would have been murdered for murder. Yeah, seven, you know what I mean? Thank you. But, Great point. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, I, just I in case, because I know there. some listener out there is going to be like, wait, what? Wait a minute. Did he know? <laughs> Leviticus does not call for a dove. Just kill a dove. I can kill my neighbor. Um, thank you, Marissa, for catching that but for anyway, me. But anyway, your being point being, loose. sorry. Point, yeah. No, thank you. I appreciate it. The point being that um, many people have you know, read the sacrificial system of the Old Testament and I think made the wrong assumption that then that is kind of how forgiveness works with God, how justice works with God. And as a result, I'm 
sorry, it's too long of a loop that I'm making here, but I'm trying to bring it back to your your observation that um, it's not a zero-sum game. In other words, it's actually not a, a tit-for-tat with God in terms of justice uh, and um, sin and redemption, mm-hmm. that actually God's not going, well, you know, because you did that, then you get mercy, you know, or something yeah. like that, that there's there's enough to go around precisely because it is not, it's actually not tied to anything. It is just the generosity and grace of God in the mm-hmm. face of anyone who is humble enough to be penitent and receive that grace. Right. And it's the turning. And I think we get this description of what the people in Nineveh did, but it's not a formulaic like, oh, it's because they sat in the ashes. Yeah, I mean, God the, was like, that's enough the, ashes <laughs> right? to earn you. The narrator is telling us these details because that sets the scene, that yeah. communicates. And I think probably even more than the ashes is shocking that the king descends from his throne, that all the nobles are turning to the Lord, are listening to this message um, and turning. So I agree with you that we have gotten ourselves in a lot of wrapped in a lot of knots by insisting on a really myopic metaphors for the atonement, because I think, again, I'm always citing uh, Fleming Rutledge's crucifixion just because I think everyone should read it. And I'll link to it again because she addresses, I want to say like six or seven of these lenses that are biblical motifs that we get about the crucifixion of Christ. And so includes in there the idea of substitutionary atonement, but also Christus Victor, the idea of Christ as ultimate victor overall, the idea of a ransom, you said bought at a price. All of these pictures are given to us. I think this is personally my personal take Mm. because it is something that can't be captured. It's, It's in the same way that we have sacramental things that give us a a picture through through means we understand. I think it's, and I know that there are different ways of understanding the sacraments, but I think with these motifs, we get glimpses of something that can't be captured in earthly systems or earthly patterns. And in the same way that all of creation is multi-layered with a million different messages that can be reminders that eternity is set in the hearts of the human being, that God is a creator, that um all these sort of plethora of messages offered. I think we get pictures of the atonement as well in this way. And for whatever reason, depending on certain corners of the church or the way historical theology has developed, sometimes we can have an impoverished view or only one sliver of a view. And as a result, that just can distort our vision um, and lead us to wonky places, I think, where then we get very, very precise about something I don't know. We This is not typically how we understand things like metaphors and motifs and pictures and imagery. So I think we bring a really precise, um, almost scientific mindset to it sure. of like, how do we catalog and almost dissect this metaphor? It may be similar to what we do with the parables of like, how can we like dissect these out so we can really get a handle on it uh, when perhaps it's it's a lens for help, to help us understand something rather than, well, this is the exact procedure that's happening right. at this moment. Um, and maybe it's all of those things rolled into one. You know, I do think it is something that we can't get a handle on. Mm. And so when we do try and get a handle on it, we end up in strange places. Yeah. I think it's both. And it's both, yeah. uh, you know, insight, not knowledge or understanding and, and mystery. It makes mm-hmm. me think of Paul in, in Colossians saying, 
My goal is that they may be encouraged, and I'm, I'm reading this from the NIV. My goal okay. is that they may be encouraged in heart and united in love so that they may have the full riches of complete understanding, yet also he adds, in order that they may know the mystery of God, namely mm-hmm. Christ, in whom are hidden all the mm-hmm. treasures of wisdom and knowledge. So there's both this this sense of the hiddenness and the discovery mm-hmm. that happens in Christ. So, yeah, and he's, yeah. So anyways, I think uh, when it becomes just knowledge with no mystery, yeah. uh, just that we have wisdom with no uh, hiddenness, then mm-hmm. I think we, we get into trouble just as we do when we say it's all mystery, it's all hidden, and right. suddenly there's no definition around anything, then no discovery. Right, well, Christ. and it's it's communication, it's not like hidden, so we wouldn't understand, but I, I think it's an yeah. invitation to continue, a, a way of showing us again and again what God is like in it makes me think of, I've never read the book. I don't know if this is what it's about, but the title Christ plays in 10,000 places. Mm-hmm, That's what it makes mm-hmm. me think of that, that idea mm-hmm. that, um, so anyway, I'm always here for the conversation about penal substitutionary atonement yeah. simply because I think it, it's one that has been, I think many, many people, particularly even evangelical churches, it's the only thing they've heard right. and a truncated version of it at that. And As they they, they don't even the, know that historically speaking, the church, that's a relatively new one. Mm. And so, you know, the early church fathers would have had a different primary way of view. So, yeah, I think so many people just aren't, aren't aware that it's one of many and um, com- complicated. Yeah. Well, and again, there was no substitution for, for Nineveh. I just yeah. want to point that out. They just, they simply said, we repent. And in, I think in, in honest uh, lowliness, they they said, we're not doing that anymore. Mm-hmm. We're going to change our ways and we'll see if God spares us. Mm-hmm. So, okay. Well, um, yeah. if you're looking at that, that's obviously a pretty rich text. That's a fun one. I think fun to preach from. Be very curious to hear anyone's take on that. If you have, just before we move on here, if you are a preacher and you do preach from it, um, I, I would love to hear any of the our listeners who are preachers, I'd love to hear any of your sermons on any of these texts. Uh, or if you have... <laughs> I, you just set yourself up. <laughs> why? What do you mean? I just... In advance? What yeah, do you just that's a lot to listen to, baby. <laughs> all right, go for it. I, I didn't say all. I said any. <laughs> um, so yeah, please, if you if you want to share, uh, we would love. I would love to hear. I like listening to other people's sermons. Um, but I'm going to move us on here now to Psalm 62, which is our response, and we have verses six through fourteen. And I'm going to read to us from the Psalter, the 1979 BCP. This opening verse here is one that I use in listening prayer. So we enter in with that. For God alone, O my soul, in silence waits. Truly, my hope is in him. He alone is my rock and my salvation, my stronghold, so that I shall not be shaken. And God is my safety and my honor. God is my strong rock and my refuge. Put your trust in him always, O people. Pour out your hearts before him, for God is our refuge. Those of high degree are but a fleeting breath. Even those of low estate cannot be trusted. On the scales they are lighter than a breath, all of them together. Put no trust in extortion. In robbery, take no empty pride. The wealth increase, set not your heart upon it. God has spoken once, twice have I heard it, that power belongs to God. Steadfast love is yours, O Lord, for you repay everyone according to his deeds. Here ends the reading. 
Hmm. What comes to your mind with that? Well, I was just thinking of that last phrase in light of Jonah, you repay everyone according to their deeds. Hmm. Um, <laughs> that is exactly where, where Nineveh is headed, right? Yeah. Yeah. Getting repayment. They're, yeah, they're going to be repaid for their, their um, evil deeds. Yeah, and the invitation to trust in the Lord. I wrote in here, because the NET translates... Um, the following verses after verse eight, I think our versification is different though. So trust yeah, in him at all right. times, you people pour out your hearts before him or attach yourself to him at all times. Because I, I think I was thinking about how the verses that follow are things like if wealth increases, the NET is translated in verse 10. If wealth increases, do not become attached to it. Do not put false confidence in what you can gain by robbery. Do not trust in what you can gain by oppression. So the antidote to that would be to attach and attach yourself to the Lord, trust trust in the Lord. I, I don't know. I liked mm-hmm. the word, mm-hmm. the word play there. Yeah. Verse uh, in mine, it's nine and 12. Yeah. So which scary. I think, you know, essentially this is what we see Nineveh doing. The people of Nineveh kind of, going all in on that yeah. just saying well maybe the lord will listen we'll put all our hopes in we'll put yeah. all in on him <laughs> right it's interesting this idea of trust because verse again you're you're right in the psalter it's verses 9 and 12 i don't know if that's what yeah. it is there but um you know 9 is put your trust in him always O people 12 is put no trust in extortion uh, and robbery etc and then in the middle right there if you were to look at this and think of mm-hmm. this in a chiastic way in the middle it it You've got even those of low estate cannot be trusted. And this mm-hmm. this word kind of at the center emanating outward toward the beginning and the end of the psalm is trust. Like what do you what what do you trust? What can you trust? Mm-hmm. What happens when you trust? Well, and how how does the Psalter say, um, the NET, this is verse nine here, says, Men are nothing but a mere, mere breath, human beings are unreliable. When they are weighed in the scales, all of them together are lighter than air. And I think that's really interesting yeah. to think of the emptiness of untrustworthy things mm-hmm. in the in the, not in a sense of like um i just mean in versus the heaviness the solidity the mm-hmm. reality substance. of god the substance of the psalmist saying god is strong yeah. god will protect you he he alone can be a refuge these sort of words of solidity and strength and shelter versus uh things that aren't reliable that are light that that could be gone yeah in a moment and they are y'all who anyone who's listened before knows my favorite book is ecclesiastes Mm -hmm. and it's just constantly bringing that to the surface of saying this stuff is light it's light in the scales and i personally part of why i'm attached to that book is because i i believe that and Mm -hmm. i actually find great um i don't know peace is maybe the word about life from that in the sense that all of it is quite fleeting yeah, but don't don't put your was it um, the wealth increase set not your heart mm-hmm. upon it like whether it's wealth or it's um, people finding people to be your refuge trusting in them even those of low mm-hmm. estate right like you kind of feel like yeah they're not the powerful greedy yeah, oppressive no. people but even yeah. there it's fleeting it's all passing it's not it doesn't weigh much in the scales and so yeah. well and I think all of us can think of examples or maybe times in our own life even people who are trustworthy people sometimes can't be there for us, you know, like a loved one dies or someone, you know, is called away or we, we move or separated or are left bereft. And even someone who 
could be trustworthy or or could be offer some solidity um can't because we don't have that power to do that for the lives of others i feel that as a pastor on a small level i feel that commonly Mm -hmm. there's just such a limitation to what like i know that i have you know um uh kind of like a, a privileged sort of um connection mm-hmm. to a lot of people and and i just but i i'm just you know first of all i'm just a guy right this is mm-hmm. sometimes I, I can't give more than what I, I don't have special powers you know <laughs> um so there's that limitation but then even knowing the what i am capable of giving in, in times when it could be meaningful to a person i either like it's it's the weekend and i i it's time for right. me to focus on my family or it's time for or I, they've moved to a different state or whatever mm-hmm. it is and I think that's actually a really, I, f- again, for me as a pastor, maybe that's a, another reason why I attach to the book of Ecclesiastes mm-hmm. is because um, it re- it helps me remember, like, I, I'm just, um, I might be that valuable to another person, but I'm not that important in mm-hmm. in, in the scope of things. Mm-hmm. And um, I don't know that, to, to me, that's a very happy and strong a thought. a freeing thing, I yeah. think, from the kind of codependency that... sure we Christians can fall into pretty quickly yeah. uh, uh, or give lip service to and say, well, it's all about Jesus. Look to Jesus. But, but here, let me, let me carry you look or to let Jesus, me jump in. And I will be the broker of that <laughs> right. your relationship with him. That, that's not, and, um, yeah, we don't want that. And there is a sense that I think, well, do we believe this or not? Do we leave that God is a refuge for all who come to him? Yeah. If, if we do, then he is trustworthy. Yeah. And certainly to all any of my fellow pastors out there, sometimes as as I'm telling you what you already know, but sometimes it is your absence that gives people that proper space to connect with God, and they have mm-hmm. a they have a critical moment in their faith because we weren't there, and right. um, we're trying to fill the space with our anxious words. <laughs> yeah, let God, let God show up directly. So yeah. Anyway, yeah. well, let's uh, take a look at our Corinthians passage, shall we? Um, yes. Oh, last thing I I would say, yeah, I feel that even not as a pastor, I remember as Mm. a new mom, first time Mm. mom being, you know, you're so overwhelmed with all of it, but with love for this tiny human. Right. And you, I, I remember acutely feeling a little paralyzed at the thought of you, you understand in a new way, what it might mean for a child to be bereft of a parent. Uh, and, I remember that, oh, it's just, it is gut-wrenching. It's not the way we want it to be. It's not the way we hope it would be. And I remember um, a professor at the seminary at the time, it was, it was helpful. Uh, I think, I think we were talking about that it happened in the, in the community. And um, he was not trying to offer a cliche answer, but he was talking about his own experience as a father and, grappling with that and saying, I had to come to the point where I would trust that if I died as a father, the Lord would father my children. He would be a father to the fatherless. And that would, would be good for them, you know? And there was something, I know it's, it's something that's not anything really remarkable to like, that's not like an astonishing that to say, but it was so helpful in a moment where you feel like, like the, the powerlessness of the human condition to prevent injury to those you love and tragedy and bereavement and grief and loss and suffering and all the things that are 
you know, our world is riven with them. And to hear someone kind of say, but I really do believe that they would be father, they would not be abandoned, you yeah. know, and I don't know. I found I that comforting and hopeful. I do too. I resonate. I've, I have had that same epiphany with, with our children. Yeah, mm. absolutely. Yeah. It's been important to me too. Important. Okay. We are on to first Corinthians. We actually were in first Corinthians six last week, the end of first Corinthians six, and we're going to be at the end of first Corinthians seven this week. So if you remember last week, Paul was talking about sexual immorality, fleeing sexual immorality, and you are not your own. You're bought at a price. There's that ransom language there. But then we get the bulk of uh, 1 Corinthians 7, which you may be familiar is when Paul's kind of giving advice about um, marriage, celibacy, like the the Corinthians have questions. Is it better to be married? Is it better to be not married? And Paul's going to give them counsel and also his own opinions. But the lectionary takes us to the very end of this chapter, beginning in verse 29. And I say this, brothers and sisters, the time is short. So then those who have wives should be as those who have none. Those with tears, like those not weeping those who rejoice like those not rejoicing, those who buy like those without possessions, those who use the world as though they were not using it to the full, for the present shape of the world is passing away. Here ends the reading. Yeah, very terse. Short reading. Short here. reading. Kind three, of an Advent kind of reading it here does in feel Epiphany. A bit like that. Three verses, just three verses here. Yes. Yeah. Uh, and yeah. the immediate verses proceeding is he's he's kind of saying a little bit like don't worry about it if you're married be married if you're not married don't be married like it is okay but also he's saying but if you're not sure whether or not you want to marry or 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 not in the future well the time is short right and and this is what he's saying right right again and and he's saying i'm I'm trying to spare you some problems this is his opinion he's he said i give my opinion In, in verse 25 he says With regard to the question about people who have never married, I have no command from the Lord, but I give my opinion as one shown mercy by the Lord to be trustworthy. And he says, because of the impending crisis, I think it's best for you to remain as you are. And then goes on to give a little more specifics on that before he says this, the time is short. Now, it immediately makes me wonder and what I would want to look into if I were teaching on this passage or even listening to a sermon Okay, was he? What was the impending crisis? What did Paul have in mind there? And do we do we have a sense of what that is? Is he is he kind of generically speaking about the last days that we sometimes mm-hmm. have in the epistles or even the gospels, mm-hmm. or is he speaking specifically about something the church in Corinth would have known, or you know, ramping up persecution that is happening all around the early church at this point? I kind of, that is important context, I think. Yeah. Yeah, I wonder, I mean, I assume it's, I assume it's the return of the Lord, but I, yeah, I find myself, it's one of those things where you kind of go, of course that's what it is. And then you go, well. Well, I would say that, I would think pausing. that if it was just time is short, but because he says, what does what your version say in this verse up here, um, impending crisis, verse 26? Yeah, I was wondering where you, where you grab that phrase 726. From. Uh, because of the present crisis. So, I think that it is good for a man to remain as he is. So I think that's interesting. What present crisis really sounds like something specific. It, it's a great point. It really could. And not it, something 
generally speaking, but the la- but the verses the we last- get today sound more generally so speaking. Bigger, because the last phrase from today's passage is, for this world in its present form is passing away. But I wonder if there's a transition of thought here. I don't know. I would want to look yeah. at this, read the immediate context. In verse 26, a pending crisis, he's really talking about, hey, maybe don't don't try and get married if you're not married and don't get divorced if you're married and, you know, just be as you are. This is not a, a sin issue. And, but he's saying things will be more difficult for you if yeah. you are married. And to me, that really speaks of the, 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 the persecution that the church under, underwent and was anticipating yeah. to undergo the suffering. Um, and then it seems like he's pivoting over to s- talk about, kind of ca- broad categorical categorically speaking look and it reminds me of the psalm these things are passing away these things are not lasting they're ephemeral so keep that in mind <laughs> though he does it in an interesting rhetorical way this kind of like giving opposites what do you think of that where he's like if you have wives you should be as those who don't if you have tears like you're not weeping if you rejoice, like you're not rejoicing. If you buy, what is he doing rhetorically there? <laughs> yeah, from now on, those who have wives should live as if they did not. Uh, those who mourn as if they did not. Those who are happy as if they were not. Those who buy something as if it were not theirs to keep. Those who use the things of the world as if not engrossed in them. For this, I think it's all just, I think it's um, an interesting, verbose, right. loquacious way of getting around to his final statement, which is, for this world in its present form is passing away. So, like, don't live, get too attached. <laughs> yeah, live live your life in the immediate with an understanding that I'll point to Ecclesiastes again. The immediate that in it is all vanity, it, mm-hmm. chasing after the wind. It's going away, and there is something else that will, in fact, something beyond that will engross our cares, our loves, our focus to such a degree that this this in light of it all is, as the psalm said, breath in the scales. So, yeah, you know, I think, I, but at the same time, in chapter seven, he is kind of saying like, no, be grounded in your life. Right, right. He's not being, you know, I love that about Paul, that he's not like, because there is this coming other state, this future with right. God, then you should pretend like right now it doesn't matter. You should well, try to he escape even, it. He wants, I think it's the church in Thessalonica, right? Like there, there are other churches who are like, Jesus is coming back, so we should not work. Let's, we don't need to worry about these things. And it's very much, nope, live a quiet life. You yeah. live your life, but. When this is, this is also the conclusion of Ecclesiastes. Yeah. It's like, no, yeah, eat and drink. Enjoy the work that God has given you to do. Enjoy your, your, your marital relationship and fear the Lord. This yeah. is what there is to do. You know? Do you think there's a little bit of like, maybe we can all take a breath just, here, you know, cause they have all these questions beat, maybe chill. where they're like, is it idolatrous marriage? Should I not marry? What if I'm yeah. engaged to someone and I don't need to be engaged to them? And should I stop being engaged to them? You know I mean? Exactly. And they have kind of, they're maybe spinning their wheels and there's a little bit of like, yeah, I think for so. Whatever your state in life, there's going to be some discomfort because you're just passing through <laughs> your pilgrim. But this is what, what you have. Just keep that in mind. I don't know. It's, it's, um, such a short passage yeah. and maybe it goes without saying, but this is so radically countercultural <laughs> to, to our moment, to probably to every time, moment, to any, any but time. specifically to our moment to kind of, I mean, it is the message of contentment, holding it loosely, 
But I think it's interesting that he includes it's not all good. It's not just saying, and elsewhere we have this, but it's not just saying like, oh, if you have a lot of possessions, remember those won't last. But also if you have a lot of tears, remember those won't last. Right. You know, if you, I don't know, there's just kind of whatever your standpoint, whether that's the abundance felt or the grief or the complications of relationships or the absence of relationships or whatever it may be. Um, the present shape of this world is passing away. So the things that really consume so much of our attention. And it's interesting to me that he includes some of immaterial things there, relationships, emotions, yeah, emotional state. Yeah. Yeah. I want to, I mean, it's hard for me not to read from Ecclesiastes as we discuss this. I'm going to leave it. So I just need to um, link in the show notes to the book of Ecclesiastes. <laughs> Here's a resource you might want to try. Ecclesiastes, <laughs> the Bible. Um, okay. But this does seem to be a theme with the other passages we're reading, yeah. right? We're, we're seeing yeah. an echo. So I agree. I, I agree. wonder where we'll go in the Gospels. Let's find out because our Gospel reading is Mark 1, verses 14 through 20. So I will read that for us. After John was put in prison, Jesus went into Galilee, proclaiming the good news of God. The time has come, he said. The kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe the good news. As Jesus walked beside the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and his brother Andrew casting a net into the lake, for they were fishermen. Come follow me, Jesus said, and I will send you out to fish for people. At once they left their nets and followed him. When he had gone a little farther, he saw James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John in a boat, preparing their nets. Without delay, he called them, and they left their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired men and followed him. Here ends the reading. Okay. I think it's so interesting that it says, without delay, he called them, rather than without delay, they followed him. I love the... He would, yeah. I just, my brain wanted to attach that to their response, but it's actually Jesus's call without delay. Immediately called them. He just calls them. There's no sort of like, oh, let me test them out. Let me see. Let me get to know them a little bit. Yeah. It's just this sort of uh, wild divine call upon them. Interesting, alongside mm-hmm. last Sunday, we had the call of, essentially the call of Nathaniel. And um, this is just a very different scenario here. Well, and some of it, this would be interesting to compare in the Gospels as well, um, across the Gospels, the details the specific Gospeler includes. We've talked Mm. before about how Mark has kind of like the, let's keep it moving, immediately urgency, the kind of the urgent pace of it. Here's what's happened next, and here's what what happens (laughs) next. I think this one in particular, paired with the lectionary readings, makes me think of the immediate turn from, I mean, what they're doing is ordinary life for subsistence and provision, and they are walking away from that to follow Jesus. They are right. turning turning to him in quite yeah. a dramatic way. Hmm. What else do you see here? I mean, it, it's got the, come follow me, I will send you out to fish for people, or I'll make you fishers of men. Um, it's interesting. The uh, it's all very basic and common observations, right? But here they are. They're fishermen, and Jesus is using that as an image of of what his their activity will be by his commission. Um, also, it's 
I think we miss over it that in a way, I don't know, grammatically here, verse 17, that following Jesus is what makes them fishers of men. That, that, that those are not maybe perhaps two disjointed, uh, disjunctioned sort of calls. Come follow me. And also, and I will, I, you know, I will send you out to fish for people, but rather that it is in the following of Jesus mm. that one does that work. That's, that's it. You know, kind of like that'll preach. Mm. Um, our call is not to go get busy for God. Our, our call mm. is to follow Jesus and flowing from that. We do ministry, if you will. Yeah. Um, another thought is, you know, you can look at the first chunk of it and you go, what is, what does it mean that the time has come? You know, pair that mm-hmm. up with your epistle reading, perhaps. The well, time and this has comes. Come. You know, this is different, obviously. Well, but even the opening of the passage, the time is John is imprisoned. Yeah, so right. is that paired? That the time mean? is fulfilled. Is he talking about that yeah. specifically, or more broadly, that I'm here now? The time has come. <laughs> right. And what does it mean that the kingdom of God has come near? Mm-hmm. So that's interesting. And then repent and believe the good news. What is the good news at this stage in the game? Mm-hmm. I mean, Jesus is just opened his mouth. In Mark's gospel, these are the first words of Jesus in Mark's gospel is, the time has come, the kingdom of God has come near, repent and believe the good news. Yeah. That is the opening of his mouth in, in the gospel of Mark. So, we like, what time has come? What does it mean for the kingdom of God to come near? And um, what does it mean to believe the good news? What is the good news at this point? So, well, and those see, are fun well, questions to chase. I on. wonder if the good news, we always get it translated gospel, rightly so. Sure. But if he's literally saying, is he just, is he saying, this is good news. <laughs> the time is fulfilled. The kingdom has got to come near, you know, repent and believe. If that's the good news he's talking about, what that is? the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God has drawn near. Could be. Could be. <laughs> Could be. Um, because, yeah, I think we hear that at this point in time and think the good news is that Jesus died for my sins or whatever we fill in the blank yeah. with, with good news, which is not what the fishermen mending their nets would have thought. I think what, well, you know. Okay. So if you were, um, if you were a preacher or somebody who was, you know, lobbying the preacher to preach a certain sermon, would you rather hear from Mark one or from Jonah three? I would want to know if the lectionary gives us Jonah other places. Is this kind of a chance to? Be, I know, I know it has talking. in some time in the two two years we've been doing this. So I would I would think, gosh, if people haven't heard a sermon on Jonah in five years or something, that would be a good one to do because you could draw this story. If you didn't want to go deep here, you could allude to this in a discussion about Jonah. Yeah. But I do think the call of, of the disciples shows up in various forms multiple times. So right. you could, you could talk about Mark's version at different times. So I would maybe do that if there's not, not a big time. Yeah. We get, we get um, Jonah twice every three years, basically. So what we looked at right now is Jonah three, one through five and verse 10, um, about halfway through this. So like a year and a half away, Am I doing my math right here? No. Oh, actually, that's kind of odd. So year, so right now we're in year B, Epiphany 3, but in year A, proper 20, so actually it, it's rather near, relatively, um, maybe half a year ago. Oh, that's why I'm remembering right? it. Yeah, good, good memory. <laughs> you get Jonah 3, 
verse 10 is where you start. Yeah. That was where we left off. And you go through 411. So you're going to okay. get more of kind we'll of the angsty the reflections. Yeah. I'm really, really, anger. really very angry. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Is it right that you were angry? It is right, he says. <laughs> and, then, and then some. Um, so this is your one shot at getting the text that tells the story, the summary of the mm-hmm. story of Jonah. So I think if I hadn't done that or had, people hadn't heard Jonah at that point, yeah, it would maybe be important. Um, or maybe this one, again, Epiphany feels like one where you could preach a theme. I mean, Jonah's hard because there's more to unpack their narrative in a narrative sense to fit in a, her- in a sermon while preaching all these things on a yeah. theme. But yeah. I don't know. What would you do? I mean, I think I would go for Jonah. Yeah. Yeah, I think I would. And it's also, I mean, I don't know. Yeah, I'm looking ahead like where you, where we go next in it in the the readings. I think I would I would I would be curious to explore Jonah. It's a good book. It's worth it. Um mm-hmm. but I think for a, a preacher it's easier to nab a small section of the gospel and kind of carry on the sequence. I feel like this when you when you preach from the gospel, the stage is already set for you. Mm-hmm. Everybody's like, "Yeah, yeah. We know Jesus and we know the, the disciples. disciples and the sea of Galilee and the call concept right. when you go to preach something like Jonah, yes, people know like what you said this yeah. is that's a familiar story. But you have to do a lot more work of setting you the do, scene. You do and it's just one I think in general people don't hear as much. Yeah. I mean, unless someone's done a Bible study on Jonah yeah. or uh, they've been at a church that's done a sermon series, you you have only have a vague sense of this, this story. You maybe yeah. haven't explored so I it. I think I would want to preach that. Well, um, okay. Anything else from hear... Mark though? I mean, no, I no, don't that's so. why yeah. you're like, well, yep. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> good, good, good job. Good text, Mark. Anyways, back to Jonah. Uh, <laughs> so, well, all wonderful readings and kind of an interesting set this time around. It is. And we have a few more Sundays in Epiphany that we'll gather. That's right. That's right. Glad you all joined us. Yes, indeed. Marissa, would you like to close this out by reading the the collect for us? I would. Praying it for us, I should say. I might have it pulled up still. We have a new setup here. And so my screen (laughs) screen went dark. Okay. Let's pray. Give us grace, O Lord, to answer readily the call of our Savior, Jesus Christ, and proclaim to all people the good news of his salvation, that we and the whole world may perceive the glory of his marvelous works, who lives and reigns with you and the Holy Spirit, one God, forever and ever. Amen. Amen. Okay, and so the oh, collect yes. there, the readily makes me think of how the gospel then provides a contrast to Jonah a little bit, where they're, they're oh, nice. immediately... How did we miss that? They immediately now? respond in both cases the disciples immediately Whereas respond Jonah begrudgingly as Jonah kind of begrudged, begrudgingly take two so that's I a great know. observation maybe that's a way to loop it I always loop like it when yeah. things land in the gospels right right um and that bridge and happens. you could say you could say in their response the time is short oh uh, the, my goodness <laughs> <laughs> now the psalm this forced the epistle into something there I'm sorry no, folks we yeah, won't be doing okay. that but anyway <laughs> Thanks so much for joining us. Scales, they are lighter than a breath. Fish have scales. I think this needs to happen. (laughs) All right. I leave you with that terrible uh, pun. Friends, thank you for spending time with us. We look forward to having you with us next time at Home with the Lectionary.
rising, Livy almost broke. All the politicians have gone up in smoke. You take up your cross, I'll take mine. We'll go up to higher ground and wait out the time. Jesus, don't pass us by. Jesus, don't tarry now. Some say you won't return. Jesus, it might as well be. be troubled for the Bible to say War, tribulation will greet the final day Brother, share the gospel Sister, do the same Sing a saintly chorus till we join that refrain Jesus, don't pass us by Jesus, don't tarry now Some say you won't return Jesus, it might as well be 